Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread Podcast. I am Pastor Jonathan Edwards, but my nickname Jed has been with me for the last 15 years. My goal is to encourage believers to have an orthopraxy as strong as their orthodoxy, that Christ might be honored and glorified through our lives. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Jed Breaks Bread Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the training objectives that parents ought to have for the early years of their children's life. Now, the early years would be years one through five or birth through five years old, but really much of the training begins around 9, 10, 11, 12 months old when your child is able to begin interacting with you and understanding the commands that you speak to him or her. Now, before we get into the specifics of the training objectives for the early years. I want to kind of give you a broad overview, a bird's eye view, if you will, of training that should occur throughout the life of the child from from age one to age 18. Now, in each of these different time periods, if you were to break this down, you would have the early years, one to five, You would have the elementary years, which are ages 5 to 12, and then the adolescent years, ages 12 to 18. In each of these time periods of life, there is a primary objective or a primary goal that ought to be the focus of parents in their training and their rearing of children. So, I find this helpful because when you have an overarching goal, that you're trying to achieve, and you look at the ways that you're parenting, the truths that you're trying to implement, when you're examining the process of your parenting, it helps you to have that overarching goal because you look back and you say, okay, here's the goal that I'm trying to hit. Are the actions that I'm taking presently helping me to meet that goal or to not meet that goal? And for, in my case, this has become very helpful because I have four children and my children fall into two different categories. So I can't treat my seven-year-old with the same goal that I treat my two-year-old. They have, there's different goals for the seven-year-old than the two-year-old. And taking a step back, looking at an overarching view of what do you want to accomplish in each time period of a child's life I think helps provide parents with a way to focus their training and focus their implementation of biblical truth into the development of each child at the particular stage that the child is in. Now, the first time period, the early years, ages zero to five, the the primary goal, the one thing that you want to communicate to your children is that your children must learn obedience. They must learn that they are a creature who is under authority. It is absolutely critical for them to understand by the time that they're five years old that they must obey the authority structures that God has placed in the world for them to obey. Why is this critical? Because everything that the child will learn in the following years builds upon the foundation of obedience, 
understanding authority. Why are you motivated to take the actions that you take? Why are you motivated to do the things that you do? It's it's because you either understand authority and the way authority works in your life, and you're willing to submit and follow the authority, or you don't understand authority, or if you do understand it, you reject it, and you view yourself as one who is opposed to authority, and you become a rebellious individual who, instead of obeying and following authority structures, desires to overthrow and cast off authority structures. And I would suggest this, that the biggest detriment that our country faces right now is the fact that we have lost a Judeo-Christian perspective on authority. And because that authority and the honor and respect for authority is not implemented in the home life or in the public life, and with our children at an early age, we see the consequences of that being played out by many young people who are rebellious to any type of authority whatsoever. There are very, very serious consequences to not being a person who lives under authority, to allowing your only authority to be the emotions that you feel, the desires that you have, a subjective view and perspective on life, there are a great many consequences that are negative to this perspective. And yet, it seems as if all the forces and weight of education are trying to convince young people that there isn't any higher authority. No God, no civil authority, no parental authority. The only authority is you and what you approve. So your child, by the age of five, will either learn that he is a being or she is a being who is under authority and must live under the proper authority structures that God has deemed appropriate. Or if they have not learned this lesson, they will become an authority unto themselves and they will be unruly, disrespectful, difficult to handle, and difficult to deal with. Now, that may not happen all at once, but the natural consequence of being somebody who rejects authority are all those things that I just mentioned. Moving from the early years to the elementary years. What is the goal when you're between the ages of 5 to 12? Now, these aren't obviously hard guidelines. You know, it it could be 6 to 12. It could be 4 to 12. And when your child moves from the goal of the early years to the goal of the elementary years, it doesn't mean that they stop being a person under authority. It just means that they add something to that. Authority and obedience is the foundation upon which all of these other parenting principles are based. Authority and obedience is the foundation, the cornerstone, for being able to have godly character development and cultivating biblical freedom. So what does that look like in the elementary years? What's the goal? The goal, then, in these years, ages 5 to 12, is character development, 
How do you act pleasing to God? How do you act pleasing to God? One of the things that we need to state up front is that it doesn't matter whether your son or daughter professes to be a Christian or not. Character will always be cultivated in an individual, no matter whether they are a believer or an unbeliever. And the parent's responsibility, especially Christian parents' responsibility, is to teach your children biblical truth and to live with biblical character. They may or may not. They may or may not become Christians. But what is more important from your, the perspective of your relationship to God and you having to stand before Jesus and give an answer is not that you presented your son or daughter with an opportunity to pray the Lord's Prayer and get saved every night before bed. Some parents reduce parenting down to that particular goal. And we've talked about that before, and that's not the right goal. What isn't critical, what is important for Christian parents is that you develop character that is pleasing to God, no matter whether your child becomes a believer or whether they remain an unbeliever. You see, godly character will always benefit a person. If you are a person who has uprightness, integrity, if you don't lie or cheat or steal, if you are good with managing money, if you understand how to treat people with kindness and respect, if you are loving, patient, gentle, if you have self-control, these are all godly characteristics, characteristics of Christ-likeness. And they should be the characteristics of your son or daughter whether they are a believer or an unbeliever. It will benefit them in life to have this character. And it is the parent's job and responsibility when the child is between 5 to 12 years old to bring about and encourage this character development. And that happens by helping them think through the issues of life, not just telling them them what to do, not dictating life to them, but really developing strong communication so that you can ask probing questions and thought-provoking questions based on the truth of the Word of God that your kids will be able to answer. It's not stump them. You don't want to stump them. But you want to ask them to draw conclusions based on truth that you have already taught them so that they will learn what godly character looks like. Finally, in our bird's-eye view of training, We have the adolescent years, the years that commonly bring fear and trepidation into a parent's heart, the years between ages 12 to 18. And there is a goal for parents in this phase of parenting as well. That is to cultivate freedom. What do we mean by that? You say, I don't know if I want to give my 15-year-old freedom. Well, yes, you do. You want to give them a freedom that is limited by God's truth. Cultivating freedom means teaching your child how to implement God's truth in making wise decisions about life. You are not going to be there forever to make decisions for your children. 
You're not going to be able to monitor their time and who they spend time with and how they manage their days. You're not going to be able to do that forever for them. And so when they're between the ages of 12 to 18, you need to really work on developing this idea of cultivating freedom. But that freedom, the freedom is how do I live and obey God's commands and make wise choices for my life? That's the type of freedom we're talking about because Jesus said, the truth will make you free. Well, that's true. It makes you free in a couple senses. Number one, if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're, you're free from the penalty, the eternal penalty of sin. But if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're also free from your enslavement to sin in this life. You no longer have to sin. You have the opportunity, because you've been set free from sin, to say no to sin in a way that somebody who's an unbeliever can never do. And the Bible gives many instructions on how to live in a manner that is pleasing to God, providing you the opportunity to make a lot of decisions about what you want to do in life, what career you want to have, what house you want to have, what what spouse you want to have. But there's limitations in each of those areas. Because God has given principles in his word about how to choose a spouse, how to choose a career, how to to take on debt. You need to teach your children how to think about those things. You need to teach your children how to take the truth that you have implanted in them and use it to make wise choices. So there you have it. The training objectives, a bird's eye view of what you should try to accomplish throughout your child's life. Obedience, character development, and cultivating freedom. And today we want to begin looking at that first one, teaching obedience. How do you teach obedience? Your communication and your correction should always focus on this truth when your children are between the ages of zero and five years old. Let me say that again. In order to teach obedience, and that your child is a person who is under authority, your communication and your correction should focus on this truth. And here's the key passage. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. And so, uh, on page 131 of his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp explains this verse, and he has a, an explanation that I think is very insightful. It, he calls it the circle of blessing. So, if you can imagine a circle, and your child is inside the circle, on the, on the outer limits, okay, of the circle, on the top and the bottom, it's honor and obey, okay, or obey and honor. And then on either side of the circle is, it will go well with you and you'll live long. So the circle represents the sphere in which the child can live and have things go well with the child. So if the child honors and obeys mom and dad, they will live long and things will go well for them. 
As soon as the child does not honor or obey, they step outside of the circle of blessing. That is the danger zone. That is the area where the child is now subject to the natural consequences of sin. And for a child who is between the ages of zero and five, the natural consequences of sin is the use of the rod. That is the primary natural consequence of sin that the zero to five-year-old will experience. Now, you say, well, the use of the rod, that doesn't sound too bad. Right. It's not that bad in the early years. But think about how the natural consequences of sin magnify as time goes on and the sins that your child tries to do are greater and present a greater danger to his or her life. Children need to learn to operate within the circle of blessing, honor and obeying their parents so that things will go well with them and they will live long. So when your child disobeys, let's say you have a two-year-old, you ask him not to do something and he violates your command. Here is the process. You take your two-year-old and you take him to a private room and you say, son, dad asked you to do X and you did not obey dad. God says, that your primary responsibility and the only command that you have to do right now is to honor and obey your parents in the Lord. Because you did not honor me, because you did not obey me, God says that I have to bring the rod of discipline upon you. And so I am going to give you one spanking or two spankings if it's a repeated offense. I'm going to bring the rod of discipline upon you because you disobeyed. And then you spank the child. And then you talk to the child and say, it's not that I like to give you spankings, but I fear God. And I understand that God, when he gives me a command, I must follow it. And when God gives you a command, you must follow it. God has commanded me as your parent to bring the rod of discipline upon you. And God has commanded you to obey your mother and father. Now, that sounds like a long time, and it is a long time. And that's kind of an abbreviated version of what the conversation might be like. But that's how you deal with a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old who is outside of the circle of blessing. You bring the rod of discipline upon them, using it to communicate that this is a rescue device. The spanking is designed to rescue you from greater consequences of sin. It's a rescue mission. It's not something that you do out of spite or out of a spirit of vindictiveness or anger. It's a rescue mission because you want your child to honor and obey, not just the parent, because someday the parent is going to turn the child over to the Lord. And you want to say, son, daughter, honor the Lord. If you honor the Lord and obey his commands, things will go well with you and you will live long in the land. Your child needs to understand that. And so if that needs to take place five times a day, 10 times a day, or once a day, you need to do that as often as it takes for your child to recognize that obeying mom and dad is the highest priority of their life. And then 
mom and daddy to say, all right, it's not just mom and dad you have to obey, but you obey other authority structures too. Teachers, grandparents, pastors, whoever that might be. You have to honor and obey the authority structures that are present in life. Now, what does it mean to honor? To honor means to have great respect and high esteem. Honor is a concept that does not come naturally to the sinful man. Honor must be both taught and modeled by parents. And so if you're trying to teach your child to honor their parents, but you as a parent don't honor the authorities in your life, your child will recognize that sooner or later. They may not recognize it when they're two, but they may recognize it when they're four. They'll certainly recognize it when they're six. If you want your children to learn to honor and obey, parents must also not only teach it, but model it in their own relationships. Parents must train their children regarding how to act properly towards an authority. And parents themselves must be honorable in their conduct and demeanor. How will it work for a child who hears dad come home, sit at the dinner table, and complain about all the things that his boss does wrong, all the things that his boss does that are foolish and stupid? That's supposed to be a relationship where honor is present. It doesn't mean that if your boss is a bad boss that you don't point out and provide constructive criticism. But what you don't do is tear down your boss and your boss's authority in front of your children. You don't make that a regular part of your conversation. Why? Because you're just trained them to not honor the authorities that God has placed in their lives. Mom and dad ought to be honoring authority in their relationship with one another. Mothers who have a responsibility to submit to their husbands ought to be practicing biblical submission to their husbands. Does that mean that mom can't make a decision or give her opinion? No, of course not. But what it means is mom is not going to undermine dad's authority. If dad has said, no, we won't do this as a family, Mom is not going to go behind the back and say, yeah, I don't agree with your dad. You can go ahead and do this, but let's just not tell him. That's undermining the authority. That's not honoring. So parents must make sure that they're honoring one another in their relationship. Husbands can't do the same thing to their wives, even if they do have the authority. They can't undermine or belittle or undo commands that mom has given as well. And this is by far one of the biggest challenges that most couples face when it comes to raising children is they don't agree on how to handle a certain issue. And instead of privately talking it out, instead of privately discussing the positives and negatives, they have a very public confrontation in front of their children about these issues. And it's obvious from the the kids perspective that mom and dad don't agree. And what do you think is going to happen? The flesh is going to take advantage of that situation. The flesh is going to 
work overtime to try to encourage the children to play mom against dad or dad against mom. And that creates chaos and confusion in the household. And there is no real honor being modeled by the parents. Now, another way that parents can model honoring is by not belittling their children or making them do small or large indignities. You also don't want to treat your children as if they were your slaves or your indent- or indentured servants. Remember in previous discussions, we've talked about how we as parents are much closer to our children than we are to God. And we therefore, we have to view our children as young men and women who are made in the image of God. They have value. They have worth. There is an intrinsic uh, relationship that is present between mom and dad because of the fact that we're all made in the image of God. And so if parents want to model honoring, we can't belittle our children or make them do in tasks that you're not willing to do yourself or treat them as if they're your slaves or indentured servants. You can't do that because that will undermine what you're trying to teach about honor and obedience. That brings us now to the topic of obedience. How do you find, define obedience? I believe we've defined it before, but it's worth restating. Obedience is the voluntary submission of one person to the authority of another. Notice the key word there? Voluntary. It's the voluntary submission of one person to the authority of another. Obedience is something that you could demand because you're more powerful than somebody else, because you can threaten them with different threats. But true biblical obedience is the voluntary submission of one person to the authority of another. When God tells me in his word that I am to put the interests of other people ahead of my own interests, That is not something that I want to do voluntarily. That goes against everything that the natural man wants. That goes against everything that the flesh wants. The flesh wants to exalt the flesh and to do what is pleasing to the flesh. But I know in my mind and in my heart that to obey God will result in greater peace in my life, greater relationship building, greater achievement for his kingdom if I voluntarily submit to what he says and I put the interests of other people ahead of my own. And there are a hundred other examples that we could use just like that. So you need to teach your children. Obedience is a voluntary submission. You do it willingly. You're, in fact, joyful to put yourself under the submission of the authority that God has placed above you. And how does this look? Well, the implementation of true obedience is that it happens without challenge. So the child is not challenging your authority. They're not challenging the words that you say. True obedience happens without excuse. 
and it happens without delay. Without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. That is how you should be teaching your children to obey. The critical component for instilling honor and obedience is consistency of mom and dad. It's just being consistent. You can't have one set of standards one week and say, ah, man, those aren't really working out for me. I'm going to try something else. And the next week, try a different thing and say, wow, that's not really working out either. I'm going to try a third thing. You cannot have inconsistence when it comes to instilling honor and obedience. If you are going to rescue your child from the danger zone, if they're in the circle of blessing and you need to rescue them because they moved outside of the circle of blessing, then you need to do it the same way every single time. You can't tolerate one or two or three acts of disobedience and then say, okay, fine, it's the fourth time I'm finally going to give you a spanking. No, you need to rescue them with the rod each time. And you may say, man, I'm just going to spank my child all day long. No, it doesn't. No, that doesn't happen. It may happen a few days, and there may be some days that are worse than others. But if you are extraordinarily consistent with using the rod of discipline to instill honor and obedience, your children will understand what the biblical parameters are, and they will live according to those parameters. Think about it this way. The way that you enforce obedience, whether you give warnings or threats or whether you ignore disobedience, teaches your children what your expectations of obedience are. So if if your expectation of obedience is that you give three warnings and then a spanking, your children will learn that. You'll say, put down those toys or pick up those toys. And they'll wait till you say it the third time before they actually obey because you've trained them to wait until the third warning before obeying. Now, there's got to be a little bit of give and take and understanding here because there have been times and I've given my children commands and they either A, didn't understand what I was saying or B, they didn't hear me. And you have to be careful. Give grace. But you can tell with your own children because you're around them all the time when they're truly not understanding a command, when they're truly not hearing a command. Sometimes I said to one of my children, you have a problem hearing the things that come out of your dad and mom's mouth. You're always saying what after we give you a direct command. So I think that you need to learn how to listen better and more accurately. And you need to tune your ear to hear the commands that your mom and dad give. And with this particular child, I had to apply some uses of the rod of discipline two or three times for failing to hear. You know what? That child hears a lot better now. You see, children will use the flesh to try to manipulate the situation. Children will try to use the flesh to get out of doing something that they should do. You must be consistent in the way that you enforce obedience. If you don't expect obedience after the third time, you'll never get it after the third time. If 
you don't get obedience until you start threatening them, you will never get it until you start threatening them. It sounds so straightforward and so simple to just say, well, when I give a command and my child doesn't do it, I give them a spanking. That's so simple. It's so straightforward. We think, ah, that can't work. Oh, that's too harsh. No, but that's exactly what the Bible says. If you don't honor and obey, you've placed yourself in a danger zone. Think about the importance of this, not just when it comes to like picking up toys, but think about the importance of this when it comes to a more serious warning, when they're like 17 years old. Son, don't go to this party because I understand bad things are going to happen there and you don't want to be a part of that. How many warnings are you going to give them? It may only take one party for your child to go to and they get drunk and crash the car and die or kill somebody else or do some other thing that has a lifelong consequence. In that case, they're not getting three warnings. Now that doesn't always happen. That's kind of an extreme scenario. But it's a realistic scenario. In fact, that's the scenario that Solomon uses in Proverbs chapter 1. He says, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't go with them. If they say, hey, let's uh, ambush this one certain person and murder this other person and let's uh, steal all this stuff, don't go with them. Solomon doesn't go... uh, Solomon doesn't start by saying, you know, these people are just a bad influence on you. You probably ought to avoid them. He says, these people have the power to ruin your entire life because of their wicked influence. He doesn't give his son multiple warnings. He gives him one warning. Now, actually, in the book of Proverbs, there are multiple warnings against all of these things. But you can imagine them being lessons that Solomon gave to his son year after year as his son grew up and and became older, became more aware of the world. The way that you enforce obedience, whether you give warnings or threats or you ignore it, it teaches your children what your expectations of obedience are. If from the time your child is two, you've expected them to obey the first time and you have brought about the consequences of disobedience into their life when they disobey the first time, When they're 15, 16, 17 years old and you say, don't do that, son, don't you think that they will think very long and hard about what will happen to them if they disobey your command? I really like how Ted Tripp phrases this in his book because I think that in our culture, even our Christian culture in America, we have it wrong how we view the rod of discipline. We look at it as some torture device. And it's not that. Ted Tripp says, using the rod of discipline is to perform a rescue mission on the heart of your child. And that's what you're doing. You're using that physical discomfort to teach the natural consequences of sin And you're trying to bring about the rescuing of your child from the error and the foolishness and the folly of sin. You're trying to impart this great truth to your child and you have the opportunity to do it at such a young age. And parents were often too timid or too inconsistent or too fearful 
or we misunderstand and we don't practice that which we know to be true, that which will provide and lay the foundation for all other child rearing. Parents, we must be committed to teaching God's truth. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We must be committed to that, and we must use the two tools that God has given us, the rod of discipline and biblical communication, in order to accomplish this task. Now, these are the training objectives, again, for children ages 0 to 5. When should you start spanking your child? I, I would say you should start spanking your child as soon as they understand what no means and how to violate no. may not be a full-fledged smack on the bottom, but it may be the smack of a hand when you say, don't touch that, and your 12-month-old goes over and touches it, looking you right in the eye to see what your reaction is going to be. Too many times we pick them up, move them out of the way, we overlook that, we let it go, but you know what they did? They tested. They tested to see whether there was any consequence to their disobedience. And when they receive no consequence, that just emboldens them to disobey more in the future. I know our society is very sentimental, very feelings-oriented, and in our society, it feels bad to smack the hand of a 12-month-old. It doesn't have to be a hard smack. It feels bad to do that, and so we don't. But we've just made it that much harder when we start enforcing the rules, when we start actually applying the rod. We have to do this. Rescue mission with diligence, with patience, with consistency, and in accordance with the Word of God. You are laying the foundation of your child's life. You are laying that foundation. Are you teaching them to obey and to honor authority? Or are you teaching them that it's okay to obey only when it's convenient? To honor only when you want to honor? We really need to think about that as parents. We really need to take God's truth to heart and put it into practice in our lives. Thanks for listening to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. Again, I'm Pastor Jonathan Edwards, and I pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel in Gibsonburg, Ohio. You can find us on the web at www.gbchapel.org. Send us an email. Send us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you come visit us on a Sunday morning and worship our great God and Savior together. Have a blessed day, and may you work hard to put these truths into practice in your life. God bless.